Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Bear with me. I want to read something to you. Let's call this story number zero. In recent years, it's become increasingly clear the media has played a significant role in inflaming political divisions in the U.S. Some argue that the media has abandoned its traditional role as a neutral, objective source of information has instead become a platform for advancing particular political agendas. One of the primary ways in which the media have contributed to political polarization is through the way it covers and presents news stories. Many news outlets have been accused of selectively reporting on certain issues uh, in a way that reflects their own biases, while ignoring or downplaying other stories that may be more inconvenient or challenging to their perspective. This can create an unbalanced and distorted view of reality, which can then be exploited by politicians and other political actors to further divide the public. Another way the media have inflamed political divisions is through the proliferation of fake news and misinformation. And it goes on. Okay, I could have said that, but I didn't write that. That was written by artificial intelligence. I couldn't resist the chance to sign up for this new chatbot, ChatGPT, uh, very loyal listeners will recall that on Media Buzz, I guess we ran this on Christmas Day, I did an interview with Steve Hilton of Fox, who kind of, you know, did this whole thing for his audience and then revealed, aha, those are, isn't my writing, that is this chat GPT. And I asked chat <laughs> to um, do it in my style. Now, I don't know if chat... GPT has enough information about what my style is, but it is kind of, you know, it, it does a lot of on the one hand, on the other hand. Um, and I just thought it was fascinating. But here's the kicker. Um, one of my daughters got a much more interesting result because uh, they, they the kids were playing around with plugging in names of YouTube influencers and so forth, people I've never heard of. And it turned out that a lot of them had the same structure. If it was a woman, it often began with so-and-so was having a terrible day. If it was a man, it was sometimes so-and-so was having a great day, but then the great day doesn't continue. Listen to this. Danny Gonzalez, who I'm told I did not know, was is a YouTube influencer, had always been a big fan of social media. He loved the idea of being able to connect with people all over the world, and he spent hours every day scrolling through his feed sharing jokes and memes with his followers. But as much as he loved social media, Danny always uh, felt frustrated by the way it was run. He saw all kinds of problems uh, with these platforms, from fake news and misinformation to rampant harassment and abuse. He'd always dreamed of finding a way to fix these problems and make social media a better place for everyone. So when he heard that Twitter was up for sale, Danny saw his chance. Uh, he knew that with the right leadership, it could be even better. With the help of friends and family, Danny raised enough money uh, to make an offer to buy the company. To his surprise, the offer was accepted. So this is sort of an alternative reality. He gets to buy it 
not Elon Musk. As the new CEO, Danny set out to make uh, changes he had always dreamed of. He worked to stamp out misinformation and abuse. Anyway, it goes on. Um, you know, it's nice work if you can get it, right? Uh, it just, the thing is, this is just getting started. This is what I was talking with Hilton about, which is basically, you know, if this if it's at a primitive stage now, because just the level of writing, you know, it's kind of like a college term paper, right? A lot of subjective clauses anyway. Thought I would share that with you before we get to the other stuff. And I have a lot of uh, screen switching to do here, so bear with me. Uh, I think the other stuff uh, that I'm on the wrong screen, of course. Okay, so I have a, a fairly lengthy column today on foxnews.com about, of course, what we'll call story number one, Kevin McCarthy and the complete Republican meltdown on the House floor yesterday. In case you took a nap, don't care, had an electricity outage, the don't care part is interesting, actually. Um, there were three votes held. On the first one, McCarthy lost five or six votes, and he can't only afford to lose four. And on the second and third ballots, uh, McCarthy lost 19 and then 20 votes. So here's what's bizarre about this. And, and my, my major point is, ordinarily this would be some, you know, sort of inside the beltway maneuvering, eventually get resolved, and whether or not Kevin McCarthy becomes the speaker or Steve Scalise becomes the compromise choice or whomever, um, I don't think the average American cares that much, unless you're a political junkie. And the reason I say that is, they weren't talking about any great issues that affect the voters. Remember, yesterday was the first day that Republicans were able to come to the House with a majority, slim though it is, and yet everything was petty, everything was grievances, everything is which subcommittee chairmanship can I have? Not that raw politics doesn't go on all the time, especially in these leadership fights, but it wasn't like they were arguing about should there be a major tax cut? Or should we do take this drastic step at the border? Or something that might connect to the average person's life. It was all just, you know, these people, you can call them dissidents. You can call them hardliners. I mean, you can't call the other group moderates because most of these people, including Scalise, who, you know, amazingly survived that shooting at a congressional baseball practice by a liberal uh, back in 2017, they're all pretty conservative, too. So what was this about? And usually when you're having a, a fight on the Hill, and you have the votes, because look, the third tally was Kevin McCarthy, 202 votes. Jim Jordan, 20 votes. But Jim Jordan is supporting McCarthy. So it's not like the rebels have an alternative candidate who can win, although you never know how these things are going to spin out. Their preferred candidate, at least 20 of them voted for Congressman Jordan, actually stood on the floor and nominated Kevin McCarthy to be the next speaker. You know, everything is frozen. Nobody was sworn in yesterday because no business can take place until there's a speaker. So in that sense, it has brought paralysis. And I ultimately think the question of whether McCarthy gets to 218 votes or not is not that interesting. 
A lot of doomsayers are saying he won't. But I think the question is, can the Republican Party in the House govern? Is it just going to have these fights forever? Because if you follow this over the years, John Boehner ultimately was driven out, resigned, but he, he, he wrote a book and said he was fed up with the right wing of his party, which he said was just only interested in chaos. And then you had Paul Ryan, who didn't run for re-election. He didn't want to have to deal with President Trump and the right-wing faction, which at that time was a MAGA faction. And we'll get to Trump and his role in this in a couple of minutes. So I happen to know that McCarthy had been saying to people privately, if not me, who? But here's the thing. If you can't embarrass these people, if they just want to sort of throw sand in the machinery of government, if they're actually enjoying the chaos, then how do you negotiate? What do they want? How did they get to yes? You know, McCarthy yesterday came out and said, I earned, oh, this is widely reported behind closed doors. I earned this job. We earned this majority. And God damn it, we are going to win it today. Except he didn't win it. And then the California congressman came out and said that his critics are trying to fight for their own personal items instead of fight for the country. And, you know, part of this has to do with the ejector seat provision, which is any five of them. It doesn't even have to be five conservatives. It could be five people from Florida. It could be five minority members. Can basically throw them out of the job by calling in a no-confidence vote. Uh, and, you know, McCarthy courted Marjorie Taylor Greene, She's got to be one of the most flamboyant conservatives. And she's on his side. She wants him to win. And now she's pissed off at Lauren Boebert and others who are saying, you know, well, we can't possibly have McCarthy. I mean, they just don't like McCarthy. Now, let's say McCarthy is just not good at this. For the sake of argument, let's just say he's a charming guy who builds relationships, doesn't have a particularly strong ideology, and just wants to, likes playing the game, likes to try to employ the tactics of congressional warfare to get things done. But he's not like he's closely identified with, well, his whole life he has fought for immigration reform or anything like that. So let's say he blew it. Let's say that when he went to Mar-a-Lago after January 6th and um, tried to mend fences with the former president, figuring he would need his support. Um, look, maybe that was the wrong call, but I don't see how he could be elected speaker without Donald Trump's support. Dan Crenshaw, pretty conservative congressman, was on Fox saying the dissidents are petty, acting like narcissists, who believe your opinion is so much more important than everyone else's, and you'll keep going and you'll threaten to tear down the team just because of your own sense of self-importance. It makes us look foolish. So that kind of sets the scene because you got to wonder at some point who wants this job? How miserable would it be to have this job? Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. 
So let's go to story number two and bring in some other voices, and one of those voices will be Donald J. Trump. National Review has a piece by Andy McCarthy who says, look, House Speaker is a thankless job of herding cats. Okay, McCarthy's not a visionary, and he has a history of tripping up in ways that help Democrats. Uh, he, he ran for a leadership position and had to withdraw, what was it, about eight years ago? Because some members of the caucus didn't think he was conservative enough. So McCarthy writes, whether the next speaker were to be Kevin McCarthy or a Newt Gingrich-type visionary or a Paul Ryan-type uh, in the GOP establishment mode, a MAGA champion like Jim Jordan, uh, an insider capable of iron-fisted control, or a more ineffective leader, the Republican problem would be the same. The narrowness of the majority due to underperformance in the midterms. No speaker, no matter how able, could fix that. No speaker would have any control over the George Santos debacle. He was just sitting there in the House like nobody wanted to talk to him or give him the cold shoulder. Uh, the guy who completely fabricated his resume, Matthews, and doesn't even do it justice, but whose vote Kevin McCarthy needs, so he hasn't said anything about that. At least some of McCarthy's, so this is, uh, just to clarify, there's no relation here. This is Andrew McCarthy, former federal prosecutor, National Review contributor, and Fox contributor, talking about Kevin McCarthy. Uh, some of his critics sound silly to me when inveighing against him over the midterm failure, given the eggshells they tiptoe around regarding Donald Trump, who had much to do with the failure, in Andy's opinion. The Never McCarthy's do not have a viable alternative candidate. McCarthy would fill that bill, and there's reason to think he'd do it better now that he's been made to sweat for the job. That's as much of his opposition could possibly have hoped for. Everything else is performative. Like, that's the thing. When Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert get up there, I mean, they love this. They can put these speeches on their Twitter and Instagram accounts. But he closes by saying, and, and Andy is not a lone voice on this, if the first thing Republicans do after finally getting the majority is demonstrate themselves incapable of even electing a speaker, what good are they? Why would voters trust them with the majority again? So on Fox last night, Sean Hannity said that the House Republicans are on the verge of becoming a total clown show if they're not careful. Uh, but despite the cheering and elation from Democrats and the mob and the media, it's not a dire situation yet. Yes, it's absolutely true that the other party is lapping this up. Uh, Tucker Carlson said that Kevin McCarthy is politically agnostic and his real only constituents are lobbyists. He finds the whole fight refreshing, he says. The fact that this race has not been settled by now is being described, especially online, by many as embarrassing. Well, it's embarrassing if you prefer the Soviet-style consensus of the Democratic Party's internal elections, where votes are merely a formality, and all the really big decisions are made years in advance by donors. In other words, uh, Tucker is saying that re internal Republican politics is a democracy, at least, whereas Democratic Party politics are an oligarchy. So, you know, maybe chaos isn't the worst thing in the world, but it can't go on forever. David French uh, is announcing, you know, he's a right-of-center person who I don't agree with everything he writes, but I think he is an always provocative writer, that he's been hired by the New York Times opinion section. And that's good for the New York Times. If they want to get serious about hiring thoughtful, provocative conservatives and not just, you know, 
once every two years, give Tom Cotton an op-ed that then gets pulled because of the reaction in the newsroom. Anyway, French says it's an unserious fight with serious consequences. McCarthy is getting exactly what he deserves. After January 6th, he failed to lead. Instead, he swallowed what was left of his pride and traveled to Mar-a-Lago to make amends with Donald Trump. Um, He goes on to say that it's possible that GOP obstruction will yield a better speaker. One can hope. But hope is not a plan. And it seems the plan is simply to block McCarthy and see what happens. America needed change in 2016. Donald Trump was not the change we needed. Clearly, he's not a Trump fan. As much as the MAGA world likes to appropriate 1776, it reminds me more of 1789, the start of the French Revolution. The reign of terror on the right is not nearly as bloody, but through threats, intimidation, and at least one serious riot, the new right has demonstrated that it is far more adept at damaging institutions and destroying individuals than it is at articulating ideas. Now, maybe that's unfair. Maybe this is a guy who just basically is fed up with the Republican Party. But at the moment, Kevin McCarthy doesn't have a lot of people applauding. I mean, even if you like the guy personally, and it's hard not to like Kevin McCarthy. He's just one of those guys who likes to schmooze and backslap and all that. Um, you, nevertheless, you know, he it's pretty sad. I mean, he's made all these concessions and looks weak, but he still hasn't got it. So what do you do now? Does there come a point where he prevails or just gives up? Or his friends go to him and say, Kevin, we love you. You're a great guy, but you can't get to 218. And therefore, you should step aside. I mean, that's how it would probably happen if McCarthy ends up withdrawing, which I am not predicting. Okay, number three. Donald Trump is the guy who encouraged Kevin McCarthy to run for speaker. NBC reporter Garrett Hake uh, somehow got Trump on the phone yesterday, very briefly. And the reporter asked him, are you sticking by your endorsement of Kevin McCarthy? And Donald Trump said, we'll see what happens. We'll see how it all works out. When he asked directly, are you sticking by McCarthy? Trump said again, we'll see what happens, and then hung up. Now, it may just be he didn't want to talk to the guy, but it sounded like he was waffling, that he was seeing that this wasn't going to work. And, you know, Trump in the past has sometimes withdrawn endorsements from somebody who was running for Congress. This is obviously not a case of running for Congress um, because he saw that the person was likely to lose. So it's not unheard of for the former president to do that. However, on Truth Social today, um, Donald Trump sort of doubles down on his support for McCarthy. And what he said was, So now I have to switch to my phone to read the Truth Social post. Some really good conversations took place last night. I'm not clear whether Trump was involved in those. And it's now time for all of our great Republican House members to vote for Kevin, that's all caps, close the deal, all caps, take the victory, all caps, and watch crazy Nancy Pelosi fly back home to a very broken California. Seems to be suggesting that she has retired when obviously she's still a member of Congress. The only speaker in U.S. history to have lost the House twice. Also the only 
Well, she's not the only person to have governed twice as speaker, but she's the only woman to have governed as speaker even once. Republicans do not turn a great triumph into a giant and embarrassing defeat. It's time to celebrate. You deserve it. Kevin McCarthy will do a good job and maybe even a great job. Just watch. So that sounds like somebody who doesn't want to lose this moment and who doesn't like what's going on and who wants McCarthy to get the job. Meanwhile, uh, Washington Post has an item saying that all but two of the 20 Republican House members who voted against McCarthy on one or, or more of the ballots are election deniers who embraced Trump's rigged election claims about the 2020 campaign. Of the 18 deniers, 14 are returning members who voted against the certification of Joe Biden's Electoral College victory on January 6th, after the violence. Four election-denying newcomers even expressed support for that vote, embraced partisan post-election audits, or promoted false claims of 2020 election fraud. So that's why, you know, Trump somehow is at the center of this. And he is certainly politically savvy enough to know that if McCarthy goes down, he is going to be seen as having lost clout. No matter who the, the Republicans uh, end up with, it's going to be seen as a, a setback for him. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. All right, number four. This is just a scheduling coincidence, I am sure. Actually, it has been in the works for a long time. But President Biden will be in Kentucky today with Mitch McConnell for a bipartisan ceremony with the Senate Republican leader to kind of celebrate the fact that this old, decrepit, rundown bridge in Kentucky is going to be rebuilt with money from the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Now, if you're Joe Biden and the other side is sort of self-destructing and can't elect a speaker and you ran on and ultimately ended up delivering on on certain key votes, the idea that even though people said you were out of touch and and too old and old-fashioned and stuck in the ways of the old Senate, that you could work with the other party to deliver, well... Going to this bridge that connects uh, part of Kentucky to Cincinnati is a pretty neat way to focus the spotlight on that very different approach to governing. And there'll be other people of both parties there. Um, Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir, he's a Democrat. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, he's a Republican. Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio, Democrat former Senator Rob Portman of Ohio, a Republican. Um, I'll get into this another time, but there is an argument that now Biden has somebody to run against, which is presuming he's going to run. And I think he needs to tell, he will tell us fairly soon. He'll run against the do-nothing Republicans. You know, you gave them a majority, what happened? Two years of chaos. Of course, when you're in the middle of all these investigations and so forth, it might not be that much fun. But before it was sort of Biden versus Biden or Biden versus Trump. 
And obviously, it may well be when you get to the two nominees, Biden versus Trump, Biden versus somebody else, or Trump versus somebody else, or Ron DeSantis versus somebody else. I do not know. But now, because the Democrats had a ridiculously slim majority of the 50-50 Senate being high up there, anything that went wrong or that the administration was seen as screwing up on well, they had to take the blame. Now we have divided government. Maybe voters wanted a check on the Democratic White House and Democratic Senate. Let me switch to number four. And it was, I talked at length yesterday about watching ESPN Monday Night Football when the game between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals just came to a halt after Buffalo defensive back DeMar Hamlin. He actually was tackling someone else and then went to the ground, started to get up, and then about two seconds later collapsed and was diagnosed with cardiac arrest. Fortunately, although he is in critical condition, um, he has now in a hospital where he can be treated. Uh, What we've learned since then is that Hamlin's heartbeat was restored while he was on the field, and he was taken off by ambulances, by an ambulance, excuse me. And then there was a second time, according to Hamlin's uncle, that his nephew had to be resuscitated uh, at the hospital after previously having been resuscitated on the playing field. He said Hamlin had improved in terms of the amount of oxygen needed to be given to him through a ventilator. I think the whole country is rooting for this guy. Uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell said the league had not decided whether to finish the game. Remember, the Cincinnati was ahead 7-3. But it won't be this week. So the Bills and the Bengals were trying to get the bye before the, you know, that comes at the, at the uh, end of the playoffs before the Super Bowl or the bye that comes just with the playoffs. I think they're going to end up forgetting about the bye the week before the Super Bowl, and everything's going to get pushed back a week, but we'll see. Number five. This story in the New York Times, it seems like it was almost snuck into the paper, seems to me to be a huge deal. Maybe you'll have a different view. But remember, by the way, that Donald Trump, it took a lot of blowback from for this from pro-life Republicans, said it was the Supreme Court decision abolishing Roe v. Wade that was primarily responsible for Republicans performing in the midterms. And that was hard for a lot of his supporters to take because they always viewed him as a pro-life president. So the story says, for the first time, retail pharmacies, I'm talking about CVS, Walgreens, or, or others, will be allowed to offer abortion pills in the U.S. under a regulatory change made by the FDA. Until now, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce this, Mifepristone or Mifepristone. It's the first pill in a two-drug medication abortion regime, regimen, I should say, could be dispensed only by a few mail-order pharmacies or by specially certified doctors or clinics under the new FDA rule. Patients will still need a prescription from a certified health provider, but any pharmacy that agrees to accept 
those prescriptions that abide by certain criteria can dispense the pills in its stores and by mail order. So this seems to me, regardless of what side of the debate you're on, to be a game changer. I mean, the Biden FDA is trying to make it easier for women who don't want to continue with a pregnancy to get the medication they need to stop the pregnancy. And yet, there's just a certain low-key aspect. This is if let's not piss off the other side. The change comes as abortion pills already used in half, more than half of pregnancy terminations in the U.S. are becoming even more sought after with conservative states banning or sharply restricting abortion. And that's what this is about. Women in red states where it's already, where it was outlawed, where it's, it was automatically outlawed, or where it's in the process of being outlawed. The pills have increasingly become the focus of political and legal battles. And you can certainly see the lawsuit being filed against the FDA and so forth. And the FDA has been moving in this direction. And yesterday, the FDA officially removed the in-person requirement from its rule book for this drug, leaving in place the two remaining requirements that health providers be certified to show they have knowledge and ability to treat abortion patients and that patients sign a consent form. I don't know that this will be the thing that gets it done, but I I do think we haven't heard the last of this. And there's just something about that time story inside the page. No, like, major win for the pro-choice side. Nobody wants to do the victory dance because this is a long slog. And people of conscience disagree totally. Many of them on Roe v. Wade, on terminating pregnancy. And the whole idea was leave it up to the states. Well, some states are going to be very permissive on this. Some states are going to be very restrictive on this. And then the question is, what do the women do who still want to get an abortion? Will they be allowed to travel to a blue state and get it? Or will they just be allowed to get this uh, drug prescribed? Um, This is not over. I feel safe in saying that. So I'm going to throw an extra story here, number six. It's in The Atlantic, and it's by Justin Pott of Oregon. And I'm going to resist the temptation to make fun of his name because it's Oregon. Anyway, it's about TVs and how with everything becoming more expensive, TVs are becoming unbelievably cheap. I mean, real fabulous TVs. Um, He says they've gotten better. And for example, you can now get a 51-inch plasma HD TV for about $2,200 or... You can get a 4K 55-inch TV with much higher resolution for 800 bucks at Best Buy for under 350. Even 85-inch 4K displays, which cost around forty thousand dollars back in 2013, uh, can be yours for thirteen hundred dollars um, right now. And the reason I'm telling you this is not to say go out and buy a TV or maybe you feel like you already know all this. Okay, but here's the thing. Why are TVs so much cheaper now? Um, All kinds of goods and services are up anywhere between 80 and 200% since the year 2000. TVs are down 97% in terms of cost. 
Well, it's easier for any company, including some you haven't heard of, to just enter the market. And that brings me to the main point of the Atlantic story, which is the reason that TVs can be so cheap is that your TV is watching you and profiting off the data it collects. Modern TVs, with very few exceptions, are smart, which means they come with software for streaming online content from Netflix, YouTube, you know, Amazon, you name it. Perhaps the most common media platform, Roku, now comes built into TVs made by some of these other companies, including RCA and Philips. Um, but there are many more operating systems. Google has Google TV, which is used by Sony. Anyway, the list goes on and on. So smart TVs are just like search engines, social networks, and email providers that give us a free service. You don't pay for your standard Gmail. and You don't pay for... I was going to say Twitter. We'll see about that. But still, it would be pretty cheap if Musk gets his way. Or Facebook. Or doing Google searches. You don't get charged for it. But you know. You know instinctively if you have a phone, if you have a tablet, if, if you have a good desktop, that you give up privacy. So what the Atlantic piece says is these devices are collecting information about, he's quoting an expert, what you're watching, how long you're watching it, and where you watch it. Then selling that data, which is a revenue stream that didn't even exist a couple of years ago. And there's nothing secret about it. Uh, some of these companies brag about it and talk about their partners on all of this. Now, if, you're, if you've made your peace with that, if you're used to being served ads uh, because you just bought something on Amazon or Walmart, then you know how this works. But we don't necessarily think of TV or haven't before as part of this deal. So this is called post-purchase monetization. And it means that these TV makers can sell their sets almost at cost and still make money by sharing, which is to say selling, viewer data. And you know, the old days... The guy starts off with, like, in the 1980s, I had this big set, and it's like it was a giant piece of furniture that, you know, was very uh, well-built, mahogany, was kind of heavy to move, and then embedded in that was this TV screen. Now, nobody thinks of a TV as furniture. It's often just a, uh, a wide screen that you can mount on your wall. It has to have certain controls, but that's it. So... We're talking here about real money. Roku earned $2.7 billion in 2021. And just concluding from this piece, is an old joke. In America, you watch television. In Soviet Russia, television watches you. In 2023, TVs track your activity to an extent the Soviets could only dream of. But hey, at least that television is really, really cheap. Look, the world of technology is changing every 10 seconds, it seems, and that's why I let off with the artificial intelligence writing a piece for me. And it's both fascinating, intriguing, and a little bit unnerving that I have to compete with the computer. But we shall see. You know, a good place to subscribe, if you're not already part of our little family here, uh, is either Apple iTunes or Amazon Music, because then you get it without the ads. They're proud about that. Um, but the important thing is that you get it. Thank you for your time. I will see you all tomorrow with more BuzzMeter.
Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.